Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today I talk to Olga Harvey, Chief Strategy and Impact Officer at the Women's Sport Foundation. Olga shares with me the impact that sport has had on her life and the tireless work done by the Women's Sports Foundation to advance the lives of girls and women through sport, particularly its recently launched Equity Project, which seeks to unlock limitless possibilities for women in all aspects of sport. I always love talking to people uh, working in the business of sport who have a background in sport. Um, and before we get into the sort of main topic of today's conversation, I thought it'd be really interesting just to um, learn a little bit more about you. And um, you were a great tennis player in your own right in your early, in your, uh, early days, weren't you? Well, it, it's all relative, as they say, <laughs> but... Uh, I guess I can hold my own uh, against my kids still and some adults. So, um, but on a serious note, um, yeah, sports have been instrumental in my life since very young age, growing up in Russia, where um, I guess my my parents uh, had me play everything. We've done all the winter sports and. Um, of course, tennis uh, has won out in the end when I dropped off figure skating and uh, downhill skiing and really ended up uh, pursuing that a little bit more seriously. But it was um, really later when I ended up uh, coming here to the U.S. and um, on actually an academic scholarship, um, I walked on the tennis team and really it transformed um, my whole experience and it was just such a great way to fit in and in a new country and a new environment and I think that's really um, what sports can do they mm -hmm. can have transformational impact at any point in your life and all the barriers whether it's a language barrier or a socioeconomic barrier is broken and you just um, make a whole lot of friends playing sports and that's what happened to me while in college and uh, to this day these are some of my best friends that I keep in touch through thick and thin. And uh, especially right now, when the world is uh, a little bit upside down, that's what holds us all together. Uh, uh, jokes and texts with, uh, with good old friends. Right, right. And it's, you know, in addition to all that stuff, um, I'm sure that you benefited out of uh, the you bet your time in sport helped you to benefit and grow as a person off the court in terms of developing some of your leadership skills and your ability to work in a team and all those kind of things. I mean, would it be fair to say that sport has contributed towards helping to uh, grow you into the person that you are today? Absolutely, no doubt. In fact, there's so many lessons that I have learned that I have taken into my business career and my uh, first career was in uh, marketing and brand development and um, consumer packaged goods industry and everything from just being organized, persistent, being able to lead and uh, accomplish your goals and 
um, have the ability to uh, know when to push, when to, you know, let up and um, all of that absolutely 100% um, I attribute to sports, not to mention um, that the transformational impact that the coaches can have in, in people's lives. My coach, um, uh, Linda Myers, to this day, that's what I call her, and she has taught me so many intangibles that um, you really can pick up in the classroom. Yeah. It was um, during those uh, collegiate tennis days. So how, how did you end up doing the work that you now do with the Women's Sports Foundation? How did you get into this, this space of, of uh, sport for good with a woman focus on, on equality and, and, and women in sport? It was actually in, uh, a bit of a winding road that got me here. So um, I um, first completely loved the sports field um, when I first graduated and started working and couple of years into my professional career, I um, actually joined USDA and started playing in leagues. And little by little, I uh, played in more leagues, then started captaining teams, and then was asked to um, uh, join a local USDA board, regional board, and um, got involved in committees. And eventually, my volunteer work within USDA led me to getting to know the whole world of philanthropy and uh, my first entry into nonprofits was through the New York Junior Tennis and Learning, which is the largest uh, nonprofit for tennis and education for underprivileged youth in uh, New York City that was actually started by uh, the whole um, network of NJTLs, National Junior Tennis League was started by the um, great Arthur Ashe. And so I um, left my for-profit career and joined uh, NYJTL um, in a number of different uh, capacities. Actually, they needed a lot of help both on the marketing side as well as in their fundraising side. And my sales negotiation from um, my CPG days translated to development and I helped them raise money and um, built some grassroots programming for um, for youth in um, the South Bronx, actually. And while I was there, um, I got to know the Women's Sports Foundation. In fact, um, um, the former president of uh, WSF was um, on the board of NYJTL, and um, we uh, built uh, a Blue Jean King um, clubhouse at uh, the facility in the Bronx that we opened up um, at NYJTL. So lots of connections between two organizations. And when there was an opportunity to um, uh, join WSF, it was actually a very uh, seamless transition because while um, the missions are slightly different at the end of the day, it's similar in the way that we serve youth and focus on youth that doesn't have those privileges that maybe um, some folks have had um, to level the playing field. And that's what we do in, in the case of WSF. Of course, it's a different lens. We um, work to support girls and women and it's a national organization um, compared to NYJTL's focus 
um, locally in the New York City market, but um, I have great passion for, for both, but uh, um, certainly social justice is um, so near and dear to my heart and I love every single minute um, of my work here at WSF uh, coming up on three years at the foundation and uh, um, we're just getting started. So for people that don't know, um, Women's Sports Foundation was started by Billie Jean King, correct? Um, absolutely. Um, Billie Jean King has started um, a few amazing organizations and it seems like um, all of it was uh, just in the early 70s. It started with uh, WTA when uh, um, she uh, set her foot down and um, basically spearheaded the original nine movement and uh, uh, they signed one dollar contracts and in fact um, WTA is uh, coming up on their 50th anniversary and uh, shortly after um, Title IX was passed and I'm sure we'll have a chance to chat about Title IX in more detail uh, as, as it's so critical to all the work that we do and then um, uh, in 1974 um, Billie Jean King started the Women's Sports Foundation, and um, ever since that moment, um, 45 years and counting now, we've been dedicating to advancing the lives of girls and women through sports and allowing them to um, realize their power, to reach their potential um, through the benefits of sports. Um, so the, the mission has endured over the years, and We've made huge progress, but in some ways, um, we're just getting started because there's so much work to do. But um, there's so many um, uh, inspirational quotes we draw from Billie Jean to this day. And uh, um, one of them that we love so much is pressure is a privilege. Every single day, we're privileged to have the pressure of uh, fighting for um, equity for girls and women. Yeah, that's great. And th there's that other famous quote, you have to see it to be it, which I know is an important part of, or important guiding principle for your work as well. Yes. Um, that's uh, so core to what um, we're talking about a lot at the moment, uh, the conversation about um, representation, um, lack of um, enough role models, although the, the pipeline is growing, but if um, girls and women cannot see themselves on TV or can see those role models that they can aspire to be, it's a lot easier to give up on the dream. For example, if you don't see many female coaches, you may not think that that's something that you as a girl can do in the future. Um, so it's, it's really um, uh, a must for us. And uh, uh, we continue carrying the torch uh, that Billie Jean King has lit up with, uh, with that quote and with that vision for sure. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, a lot has happened over the last 50 odd years in the space. Um, you know, thank thank heavens for Billie Jean and what she did and the and the the, the path that she started um, you all down because it's so important. But another important part of all of that was Title IX, wasn't it? Um, 
really a transformational piece of legislation that has had such a huge impact uh, in the space. Do you want, for, for, for not everybody is going to be familiar with Title IX necessarily. Do you want to just talk us through what that's all about and, and uh, the role that it has played? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd love to, and uh, there are um, others who are greater experts, and you really have to have expertise to um, understand all the nuances, but I will try to sort of put it in uh, lamest terms here. And um, Title IX uh, is also known uh, as the 37 words that changed everything. And I'm just going to read it for the audience here who um, have not heard the, the exact phrase, which actually is, uh, is known to be somewhat clunky the way it was written. But uh, these seven, 37 words are, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefit of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Uh, a mouthful, um, uh, I would say, and if you notice, nowhere does this legislature mention sports. So it's really interesting because it was, um, the way it was written, it really was um, talking about much more than sports. In fact, it's really meant uh, to prohibit discrimination um, of any sort, uh, sex discrimination of any sort um, in educational programs that have federal funding. And of course, sports receive federal funding and um, that was just enough of an opening for um, the activists back in 1972 to say, this is it, you know, we, um, we're not going to hold back any longer. And by the way, some strides have been made even before 72. For example, um, a lot of people uh, know Catherine Switzer, who made history um, a few years before in uh, 1967, when she was the first woman to uh, run Boston Marathon. Now, she registered under Casey Switzer. So um, no one knew she was a woman, and that's how she got into the race. And a couple of miles in, um, the organizers tried to pull her off the course, but she kind of pushed them aside and persevered and, and finished. So um, the, the groundswell was building even before 72, but at that point, really, um, uh, I think certainly um, some girls and women were ready, and the numbers were very low. Um, if we do math, we come up with about one in 27 girls playing organized sports at the high school level. Um, so just really, really low percentages. And the numbers haven't started growing immediately. Um, with any legislature, um, you need organizations, you need um, dollars, right? Uh, monetary support to start enforcing it. And so just because uh, the law was passed, um, equity wasn't there on day one. In fact, uh, we're still not 100% there, but certainly it took time where um, organizations started working towards that greater equity. And in fact, 
uh, Title IX has uh, a number of sort of um, parts to the actual Title IX test to, for an organization to comply. And you don't need to meet all the requirements, but you have to show that you have um, equitable um, funds allocated towards um, both um, men's and women's program and in the case of sports, obviously to, um, you know, how many um, participation opportunities an organization is giving, how much funding is dedicated to training to the facilities. So it's very multidimensional. And if as an organization, you can show that you're um, working towards that, that you're constantly improving, you're kind of given a pass. And so effectively, um, in the last 48 years, and we're coming up on uh, uh, the 50th anniversary of Title IX in uh, 2022, um, in June of 2022. So 50 years later, um, and this is kind of a shocking stats, still nearly 90% of colleges don't offer athletic opportunities to female athletes proportional to their enrollment. So what that means is still 90% of um, universities are not in kind of full compliance of what it's intended to be. So if there's, um, if we take a premise that every single girl deserves the same chances as every single boy to be able to um, get the benefits of collegiate sport participation, you would think that if the enrollment is proportionate, um, we should roughly have the same numbers of boys and girls playing collegiate sports. And so um, we're definitely not there yet. And, um, but huge progress has been made. So you, you have to kind of, um, as an activist sort of, uh, you know, switch hats, right? You can't just sit there and complain and, and say the glass is half full all the time. Um, that's not productive. You need to look at the progress and, um, you know, sometimes put the hat of, you know, the glass is half full and, and we're, um, you know, we went from one in 27 girls to, um, you know, 60% uh, of girls now playing, right? Um, and that's amazing. Um, in terms of high school participation, you know, we went from, um, you know, maybe thousands of girls to a few million girls playing. And I can give you the exact stat if I, if I can find it here is, um, so in uh, uh, 71, there were um, just under 300,000 um, playing opportunities for girls. And now we're at uh, um, almost 3.5 million. So that's huge, that's great. Um, and that's my uh, glass half full, but um, the glass half empty is not, um, uh, you know, being satisfied. And I'm gonna give you another Billie Jean King quote, um, is that uh, Shelby says, um, girls and women, we, we don't want the crumbs. We want the whole cake and the cherry on the top. So, <laughs> um, uh, and why not? My colleagues and, and I and, and everyone who uh, fights for social justice are going to be fighting for. We won the whole cake and we're going to um, 
work tirelessly until we reach equity or we're closer to it. And um, one of these sort of intermediate goals is this 50th anniversary of Title IX in a couple of years, we really want to make a strong push um, to close the gender participation gap and um, continue uh, building up the numbers. And it's not a zero sum game. That's a really important uh, point that I want to relate to the audience that's gonna read your book is that just by, um, by giving uh, to the girls, we're not taking away from the boys. There's uh, the, the, the pie can stretch and both um, uh, boys and girls can, uh, can have the opportunities and should have the opportunities for this, this whole cake. So there are two cakes, really. <laughs> Let's let's build a whole a whole pint of cakes. Yeah. yeah. So so um you know legislation's great and it's it's played a huge role in getting us from where we were to where we are today. I mean, there's probably a you know there's a debate around where where would we be today without that legislation. But there are also other things, other barriers um, that uh, get in the way of of girls and women participating and staying in sport. And so I know that's a big focus of the work that you're now doing at the Women's Sports Foundation. You've just released um, some new research, um, Chasing Equity, um, and you've just launched a new initiative, the Equity Project, which is kind of like your guiding star in your organizing model for the next 10 years, correct? Yes, absolutely. And uh, thank you for, uh, for the nice setup here. The Chasing Equity Research Report is really kind of a... Um, foundational sort of set of um, metrics where we um, are saying, is it good, is it bad? It is, right? It's, it's sort of a starting point as we enter this new decade um, to let us know how we've done. It's almost like a, um, uh, you know, dashboard, right? Um, and we have looked at um, a number of areas and, and really broke them down into kind of five big buckets, if you wish, um, that we think, um, you know, we should be measuring um, things going forward. Um, one of them is access to sports um, and physical activity for, for girls um, at the grassroots level. And uh, there's, there are definitely some barriers. And while, again, um, the numbers continue to climb, there's um, girls are playing at the lower numbers than the boys and they're dropping out at higher rates um, than the boys, especially in that middle school age group. And um, even more dramatically, um, girls of color um, have even fewer playing opportunities and more barriers for participation, uh, whether they're socioeconomical, uh, safety, um, you know, support of uh, the parents or um, transportation. I mean, the list goes on, but uh, the barriers prevent um, girls of color and, and those girls from other under-resourced communities to participate. So that's sort of bucket one. We talked a little bit about Title IX, um, so I won't repeat myself, but that's um, another area where we're, um, you know, set some metrics and would love to see improvement. Um, the third one is um, mental and physical health and safety. And while it's super important and, and such a hot topic for the entire world, um, 
uh, it seems like, and certainly in the times of crisis and the one we're going through right now, you know, mental health is, is on the forefront of um, every single person. But um, girls and women, again, have some higher um, uh, risk factors uh, as it relates to safety. Of course, we um, are all aware of the um, sexual abuse stories, and again, they go well beyond just girls, but um, uh, the girls um, are, are definitely um, at risk in, in a big way. And there's other um, areas that just have not been studied. For example, um, concussions. While um, I think the world has been talking about how um, you know, dangerous concussions are, pretty much uh, men and boys have been studied a lot more in the effects concussions have on them. But in some of the recent studies, um, it actually shows that the uh, longer term impacts on the girls are actually more serious and they're different and the treatments are different. So, um, and the list goes on, um, you know, girls and women are more prone to ACLs and, and so forth. So we're definitely um, interested in, in having experts look at, at that space more and continue um, making sure that um, those girls who are playing um, their position well for um, success and they're not gonna be prone to injury or abuse. Um, and that would obviously uh, you know, have much more serious ramifications on um, all the progress that was made if, if parents lose, um, uh, I guess, faith in, in uh, the positive power of sports for their girls. Um, the fourth area is leadership pay equity and workplace bias. And it's really a huge, huge bucket that could be even, you know, uh, divided into a few areas. But um, in a nutshell, it's equity at kind of that, um, you know, sort of higher uh, level of sports engagement. So um, whether it's uh, equal pay for equal work and, uh, um, you know, the ability for girls and women to make money playing professional sports to uh, leadership opportunities, both um, in coaching and uh, athletic leadership and the business of sport, but really beyond that, and um, uh, the gender bias that we need to continue overcoming um, as it relates to that entire space is is a huge deal. Um, and last but not least, um, the area that maybe could help sort of solve the, the first four in some ways is the media coverage. And again, um, back to the quote of uh, you need to see it to be it. If, um, uh, if women are not um, uh, shown uh, on TV, uh, if articles are not written about them and uh, they're not visible, it's a lot harder to, um, uh, to solve the, the issues of participation and access and um, pay equity. And in a way, um, you know, this, uh, this problem persists uh, at all levels, and I'm just going to give you one example that uh, was truly shocking the other day. So all the sports are canceled at the moment, right? And uh, there was a New York Times um, uh, uh, publication, or New York Times Weekend Edition, and there were five articles about sports 
and they were all about men's sports. Now, nothing is going on. So um, it was really interesting. And um, uh, a few activists have call called out New York Times saying, you really got to do better. You know, um, it's, it's just so um, interesting how uh, much of a blind spot that is for, um, you know, for writers, I suppose, um, to not see that that's, um, that's not okay. But um, I guess these are, these are the five areas, and I'm not sure if I answered all your questions, yeah, yeah. but we um, really feel that there's, um, now is the time to make progress, and we can't do it alone, and our um, long-term vision is to ignite um, a movement um, around equity and get um, both organizations and individuals to um, engage uh, in this work. And in fact, on March 8th, on the International Women's Day, we launched the Equity Project in a kind of more public way and have um, asked every individual who cares about equity um, to join the Equity Project, to take the pledge, and to do their part. Um, and every week we um, are sending out different calls to action. In fact, they um, rotate from all of these five different buckets. Um, we're asking people to uh, do little things that could end, end up um, uh, in, in aggregate moving the, the needle. And concurrently, we're working with uh, different partners to um, obviously do bigger things. Organizations can have much more uh, immediate impact by changing policies, both um, jointly and individually. So for example, if uh, um, you know an organization, um, uh, a big organization publicly commits to dedicating the same sponsorship dollars uh, or equitable sponsorship dollars to uh, both men and women, uh, or men's and women's sports, that goes a long way. Or if they say, we're gonna um, institute more equitable hiring practices and for every position, we're gonna have um, men and women as finalists. Um, th those are um, big steps that could lead to lasting change. So the, so the Equity Project is really a, a convening space for all the different stakeholders in sport to come together around this shared mission of moving the needle forward on gender equity and, and social justice in sport. Um, and, and, and the role that the Women's Sports Foundation is as a convener of that? Yes, we, we really um, um, don't want to police what every organization is doing, but we'd love to be able to, um, yeah, convene this thought leadership and Obviously, where possible, um, you know, aggregate the impact metrics and obviously through our, um, research and ongoing tracking, um, we're going to, you know, show what progress we're making. But the reality is, is that there's some areas that we're going to be um, able to influence um, more directly ourselves. And there are going to be others where um, we're looking to. Um, leaders who are experts in the space to take charge. So for example, as it relates to media coverage, we've uh, had a number of organizations who raised their hand who said, you know what, we, we have to do better and 
um, we're working with them to think of, you know, different ways to um, look at the media coverage and how can you um, uh, showcase girls and women uh, in different ways and have more quality storytelling and um, we're looking to them for um, changing the conversation and obviously, um, you know, continue changing the numbers because the media coverage number is definitely um, the one that we have the most work to do. On. So, so anybody out there who wants to make a contribution towards what you spent the last half an hour talking about can join by taking the pledge. They can do that at the Women's Sports Foundation website. Yes, absolutely. We um, uh, actually set up a dedicated page, but uh, if you simply go to the Women's Sports Foundation homepage and then click on the Get Involved um, mm -hmm. uh, bucket in, uh, in our top navigation, you can get there pretty easily or um, through our social media uh, Take Action Tuesday series. Uh, you can also get to take in pledge and getting involved. So we're um, absolutely, um, you know, open to having everyone part of the movement. Those who want to do more, obviously, uh, can then reach out, uh, you know, privately to to us to uh, to get engaged in deeper ways. But uh, it's as easy as yeah, taking the pledge and doing your part in your communities, whether uh, you can uh, coach a grassroots teams, boys or girls, or um, research a story of a, uh, a female athlete that, you know, has done some great things, but maybe has been for forgotten and share it um, on your social media. Um, no act is too little and all of them will add up to um, a greater good. And, uh, move the needle on uh, on this initiative so in closing um Olga, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today i always enjoy our conversations um thank you for the work that you and your colleagues um do at the women's sports foundation really important work um and um you know we celebrate you and, and thank you for everything that you do and just in a few words i mean uh just to end off do you imagine it's 2030 um, so 10 years time, are you hopeful that we're going to be able to together make a real difference in the space? I am bullish on this idea. I really think that the time for equity is now as corny as it sounds and that um, setbacks always uh, lead to comebacks. And while the, you know, the recent uh, news of uh, the U.S. Women's National Team and the pay equity battle, and you know, merely a setback in in uh, the response from uh, the federation uh, by blatantly saying that you know girls and women um, are not worthy because uh, based on uh, I guess their skills and and physiological abilities, they're not as fast, and therefore they will never be paid the same is a setback, but at the same time, the, um, the fact that so many people have responded so quickly, including 
um, the biggest sponsors of U.S. soccer just shows that we're um, at the cusp of big changes and that um, the nation is ready to um, look at equity in different ways. And we're going to have some, I think, huge um, momentum uh, to swing the other way. And um, yeah, in 2030, I think it's going to be a very different conversation and the growth will be exponential. And again, it will be, um, it won't be at the expense of um, boys, both girls and boys deserve the opportunities to play, to participate, to win, to lead, and um, to benefit from sports. And that's what I think, you know, all of our work is about. We all believe in, in sports as one of the greatest vehicles to drive progress and it's a microcosm of society. So um, I applaud the work that you're doing and um, can't wait to read the book. All good, thank you so much. Stay safe. Thanks, Neil. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.